Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of My Old Kentucky Podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? Doing well. We we have not seen each other in two weeks. We took back-to-back weeks off. Mm-hmm. How, was your, how was your vacation? It was good. It was like the first time I've ever been to the beach where there hasn't been like a tropical storm or a lot of rain while I was there. So we had like awesome 80-degree weather all weekend it was really nice that is really nice yeah so I'm, I'm happy that you had a good vacation but you're back now working uh very fun yeah i know that that yep. what that's like so yeah we're gonna talk about kentucky government and politics you are gonna tell us a little bit about some stuff regarding john yarmouth uh and his future so that's in a big story I- i'm gonna tell us a little bit about the unemployment insurance situation uh, there's a couple of different stories but the big one is that kentucky is staying in a program that gives uh unemployed people an additional 300 dollars a week uh, and then we've got, a, you know, our normal policing and protest situation and then uh, a COVID update to cap it all off. So without any further ado, Jasmine, tell us what we need to know about John Yarmouth. All right. We have a couple different stories that have emerged over the last week regarding John Yarmouth's congressional seat. So one will Representative Attica Scott run against him in the Democratic primary in 2022. And second, can the Republicans flip this seat through redistricting that will be coming up? The first piece of news is that Joe Sanka reported that Attica Scott is considering running for the seat in 2022. Um, Robert, did this surprise you at all? That's an interesting question. I, I wouldn't say I was surprised by it. No, um, I, but I, I was, I would, I don't know that my emotions about this were interesting. So I, I always knew that t- she was targeting higher office. So I always knew this was something she might do, but I will say I was a little surprised to see it happen now, but I, I guess I shouldn't have been, I don't know. Um, I'm, I guess I, sometimes I'm surprised and sometimes I'm not. It all depends on uh, how I want to describe my emotions on that day. What about you, Jasmine? Were you surprised? I was pretty surprised by it. And more, I guess, the timing than running for the third district congressional seat. I, I'm surprised that she is considering primarying him. I, I could have seen her like run for a lot of different things. Um, but running against John Yarmouth in 2022, I think, is a little surprising to me. But so she told the the Courier Journal that she's definitely thinking about it, and that she's had a lot of encouragement. And she said that she isn't putting a time limit on the decision, but is having discussions about staffing a campaign. Listeners will remember that she said that she was very close to running for governor in 2019, but decided not to due to the financial burden. She is quoted in Joe Sanka's article. She said, I'm part of the working class, you know. I don't have money like a lot of other folks do. And this is something that the people want. And I'm always listening to the people whenever I run for office. Staffing a campaign and and figuring out what she needs to raise to do this. You know, I, I think that that will be a big part of this decision. I don't really know, like, what polling would look like for what kind of chance she might have and a primary against him, but I would think rather poor. Uh, but that's just me handicapping the race. I've, and Jasmine, you may 
you know this better than everybody else. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> I'm usually bad about predicting who's going to win what race. Yeah, your predictions are not always spot on. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, I, I will first of all say um, if Attica Scott wants to run for this office or any other office she wants to, she absolutely should. Um, I think that's what makes our democracy great, and I think – Anybody should be able to run for whatever office they want to at any time. Uh, and I will say Atticus Scott uh, played a big part in me like thinking that way. Because when mm-hmm. she was ru- thinking about running in 2019, I was definitely on the side of like, well, she shouldn't do that. That's not a good idea for her. If she wants to advance her career, she should do X, Y, or Z. And I, w- I really, uh, I think she and a couple of other people like pretty, pretty much called me out directly and said, hey, that's not great to say. Like, that's kind of messed up that you would even, that you think that way. And I thought about it. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you know what? You're right. Uh, if you want to run for something, you should do it. You have the right to do that. And if you can put together the campaign, that's fine. And, and if your goal is to win, you know, you're going to have a tough road, but that isn't necessarily everybody's reason for getting into every race. I don't know. I would expect that if you asked her directly, she would be like, I'm in it to win it. Um, who knows what's in her heart. But but I think we've seen a lot of people primary, especially like older white men uh, yeah. in progressive areas uh, and, and be rather successful. I, I will say Louisville, Kentucky is not Brooklyn. It's not Queens. It's not it's not even St. Louis, you know, or Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is it is a place where this strategy could be successful. And I think, you know, Jasmine, if you go back and listen to our first interview that we did with John Yarmouth, I think that was like back in uh, t- the 2018 election, right after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won her primary. He talked very directly about, you know, wanting to make sure that everybody that uh, would have been like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez type voters in Louisville were heard so that, you know, that didn't happen to him. Um, And and so I think if she runs, it will be a a good test of that. And I think a test of that might not necessarily be the worst thing for for John Yarmouth to face. Uh, I don't think necessarily he's any in any big danger of losing uh, just because he has an overwhelming advantage in terms of money and relationship with the community. I think that's a big one too. Uh, But Atticus Scott, you know, would present a very compelling alternative to a lot of people and who knows what would happen. Uh, I definitely didn't think Charles Booker was going to have the 2020 that he did. And, you know, he came very close to winning his primary. I mean, what do you think about all this, Jasmine? Yeah. I mean, I was going to compare it to Charles Booker. I mean, this is kind of like, how he got his start in politics was primarying an incumbent when he ran for state senate against Gerald Neal. Yep. And then he ran in a really crowded primary to win his state house seat. Yeah, I mean, I think that black women should run for things. Mm-hmm. And if that's what she wants to do, she should do it. Um, I don't know. I really don't have a good sense of what her chances would be would be honestly John Yarmouth I think is maybe a more popular congressman than some of the other like white older male congressmen that have gotten primaried Mm -hmm. at least that's the sense I get um yeah but the the the, a couple of folks up in New York who lost like Elliot Engel and uh whoever it was that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez it's kind of crazy I forgot his name because he was like the fourth most important person in the house at the time they weren't as connected to their districts. And Joe Crowley. There you go. That was his name. And, and, I was going to say, I know his name's Joe. I can't yeah. remember his and, last name. And, and John Yarmouth even mentioned, again, in that conversation with us, he said, you know, Joe does, did not live in his district at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't even really go there that often. And, and Ellie Engel is caught on a hot mic talking about how much his district had changed and not necessarily.
necessarily the best of terms. I think some of the uh, folks who are, were in danger, uh, you know, the, the the man down in Nashville who's facing a pretty tough primary now, and uh, the man who lost in St. Louis to Cori Bush when she ran, I think that it's very, I would say that they are more conservative than John Yarmouth. Um, I would say that mm-hmm. they are definitely not in the same sort of like progressive space. Uh, you know, space that John Aramith uh, occupies. Now, other people may disagree with that and say that he's much more in that vein. Uh, that's just my opinion. Um, so, so you know, that's kind of the, the way that I think it stacks up. But I agree with you. Uh, if this is what uh, Attica Scott wants to, she should, and she should draw as sharp a contrast as she thinks is necessary with, with John Yarmouth and, and kind of let the chips fall where they may. Uh, I think this is a Democratic town, and I don't think whoever comes out of that primary is in any real danger of losing to the Republican. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. I think... Uh, I think that this this could be interesting, um, and if that's what she wants to do, she should go ahead and do it. Yeah, I think like my surprise comes from just not knowing that she was interested in that seat. I know that she would potentially seek higher office, but I never knew what she might be interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think her role as like the legislator at the front of the protests in Louisville have definitely given her a platform to like step up and run for something else in 2022. And if I was Atticus Scott, you know, I would be wanting kind of out of my job in Frankfurt too, because I, if I were her, I would be <laughs> so, I would be so frustrated. I, I just think all the yeah. time, like there, she has some stuff that's a little bit more controversial. There's no doubt about it. And there's stuff that's mm-hmm. definitely never going to pass, even if it was like a democratic led house uh, and Senate and, and governor, but, but like the crown act, you know, uh, her, her natural hair, bill there's zero reason for anybody to block that that that's a that's a bill that should get 100 votes in the house and you know 36 in the senate uh yeah and her and, maternal health act yeah absolutely i feel that way about she, too. she has so many good bills and and i think that you know you can kind of read between the lines uh as to why a lot of her stuff has been unsuccessful in frankfurt and, and so her looking for something else is not something i think that anybody should be too surprised with but yes what it was and what she might be looking at that that might be that might be a little bit surprising yeah yeah so that's the first john yarmouth related story and the second one is redistricting um so morgan watkins wrote a subscribers only piece for the courier journal about redistricting rumors with regard to yarmouth's seat um and it included this map that has kind of like circulated on twitter that shows jefferson county being split three ways so it would basically split in the middle of jefferson county and then like be split vertically down through the state Mm -hmm. um so you know, part of that district would now be like Southern Kentucky. Right. Um, and it would make all six congressional districts into districts where Trump won by at least 20% in 2016 and at least 15% in 2020. This map was created by the Cook Political Report, which also named Yarmouth seat one of 32 house seats in the most danger from redistricting. Um, but I wanted to ask like, your opinion, Robert, as a maps person, what you thought about this? Well, honestly, Jasmine, uh, I am a, ma- a maps guy, but I think that honestly, the, the bigger question would be from a law person, and that's kind of more your vein, because uh, oh. and maybe not election law. That's obviously not the type of law that you practice. It but, is not. Uh, but you know, you certainly can cut up Louisville in that way and build those three districts uh, into plus twenty. 
um, Trump districts. Absolutely. No doubt about it. You could definitely pull it off. But I think it would run into a legal challenge. It would have trouble winning. Uh, and But it, there's it's hard to say. Um, you are supposed to work to keep communities together that's like written into the statute in kentucky i'm pretty sure and uh there have been a lot of challenges to those but challenges to maps especially uh ones that are like compromised maps are rarely successful obviously this would not be a compromise map uh so that's that's something to be said there but the last two times we've done this and and I guess the last three times we've done this, 1990, 2000, and 2010, they were kind of compromise-ish maps. And this one will be the first one where, where Republicans really were, are driving the bus. Uh, Joe Sanka had a follow-up to that about uh, in the Courier-Journal, in addition to Morgan Watkins' piece, about how the redistricting process is kind of coming forward. Uh, and it will be basically totally run by Republicans. Uh, I don't know. I don't think, and, and I've heard a couple of Republicans speak on the record that they're not super interested in cutting up Louisville like that. But they can, and we'll see if they actually are truthful about that. Yeah, that's the next thing that I was going to mention, is that this article also includes quotes from Republicans, Thomas Massey, Damon Thayer, and Jerry Miller, and none of them seemed like they wanted to carve up the 3rd District. So... Yeah. I don't know that it's super likely and you're definitely correct that if they did that, especially in the way that um, this Cook political report map looks, there would certainly be a legal challenge. What I'm not sure about, though, is I don't know that Louisville has the minority population to mount a strong legal challenge that would be on the federal level i think jasmine like the federal uh, voting rights act challenge is that what you're talking about yes yeah no we definitely couldn't do that i think that there's state laws though because this is a this is a process that's governed by state law um that would would prevent that from happening i'm not i'm not, I'm not a lawyer though so I yeah, right. no i was i was talking about the voting right uh, yeah. voting rights yeah. Act challenge. Th this is not this is definitely not qualify for on that level yeah and you know the thing about kentucky's districts especially like uh federal districts they've basically been the same for a long time like the first and second are kind of western kentucky the first has always kind of been as far west as it gets the second is like bowling greenish area third has always been louisville fourth goes along the river uh the fifth and the fifth and i guess it was the the fifth and sixth used to be eastern kentucky and southeastern kentucky and then it used to be that the seventh was like the Lexington Central Kentucky area. But when we lost one, we combined the fifth and sixth into just the fifth. And the sixth is now the Lexington area. But anyways, that's kind of been Kentucky's general map for a very, very long time, at least back to like the 60s, I think. So and probably back further than that. So, you know, breaking that up would be break, breaking with a long, long line of precedent, which is not to say that that's not what Republicans are interested in doing. That's definitely something we've seen for quite a while. Uh, breaking with precedent. So, yeah, there's that. I, I think I think the third is is safe, but you got to keep your guard up. You can't trust Republicans when it comes to drawing <laughs> maps. Uh, and, and you know, I, I, this is another thing I'll say, Jasmine. I, I will say, you know, I watched all of the uh, legislative uh, sessions ac across the country and the ones that are governed by Republicans. We talked on our show about how big a disaster ours was. But looking at places like West Virginia, Tennessee, Indiana, Texas. Georgia, like they had a worse time than we did. Uh, and the ones that were run by Republicans, the sessions that were run by Republicans. So our Republicans are bad. They do very, very bad things that I disagree, disagree with very strongly. But also, um, 
they play a little bit more fair than Republicans in other places. Uh, so hopefully that also extends to drawing maps. That's something we will see soon. That That's all the John Yarmouth news today, <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about unemployment, Jasmine. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about this because it's been in the news quite a bit lately. Uh, at the end of 2020, the United States Congress passed a stimulus bill that extended an additional $300 of an unemployment benefits per week to the folks who lost their jobs. And that includes people not normally covered by unemployment, like freelancers, self-employed people, and gig workers. Uh, you may remember something similar to this that happened at the beginning of the pandemic. That was a $600 a week benefit. Really, really, I, that helped a ton of people. If you got that, I mean, I talked to some people who had that. They were like, this was life-changing money. That really set us in a good place going forward. Um, so really a very progressive piece of policy from the United States Congress there during the pandemic and continuing on into the fall. The benefit currently, though, is slated to end in July. Jasmine, we talked about a little bit about this when you talked about uh, downtown Louisville having uh, like coming back and coming to life. Um, but nearly every place of business I've been into in the past month has had a help wanted sign in the window. And, and yeah. really, yeah, you've noticed that too. I'm sure everybody else has as well. Wages are also surging across the country. Uh, that That's worn out in the economic data and the jobs report that comes out every month. And, and employers are really seeking to hire new workers in, in most places across the country. But and, and this is absolutely something that's been noticed by a ton of people. There are states, a lot of states across the country that are shutting down that additional unemployment benefit early in an attempt to try to spur people to go back to work. Um, yeah, you know, um, the unemployment system is run at the state level with federal money. So you can say, no, thank you. I don't want that anymore. And that's within the rules. I think every state that has decided to terminate the benefit has a Republican governor. Um, so that's something to be mentioned as well. The logic to doing this, uh, you know, is uh, based on basic supply and demand. People are less willing to supply their labor at the price being offered by employers, you know, the lower wages, because they're receiving a benefit uh, from the government. So I get this already. Why would I go to do your job? Um, the natural reaction of employers is to raise wages, and that's something that they're doing, and I think it's working. I think that you know we are seeing people go back to work as wages are increasing, but I think that that's a process that takes a little bit uh, of time to work out. You know, Employers have to figure out the best wage to offer. They have to figure out how that works um, with their business, and they ha- kind of have to figure that out. So you know, it's not something you can just do in one day, um, but I do think you know we've been at this for about a month and a half or so, and I think it's starting to work. And, and something that's worth mentioning is that in addition to cash, rem- receiving money as unemployment allows people to, to do stuff like take care of their kids and, and really also to take care of their bodies. Some people work really physically demanding jobs that probably shouldn't be doing those jobs. Uh, and, you know, having this benefit in, in place means that they can, you know, let their bodies heal or, or not put themselves at such a physical uh, disadvantage going forward. And I think that that's that's probably a good thing. In addition, you know, people also have more time to get vaccinated. Access to the vaccine isn't always the same for everybody. And some people, you know, have a little bit more trouble getting it. And so giving them a little bit more time for them to get it and to get it, have it for two weeks and have it pass through their body the way it's supposed to just start working. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing either. So here in Kentucky, anyway, Governor Bashir has been asked about cutting the unemployment benefit several times, and, and it has really been pushed by both sides of the argument quite a bit. So the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, who obviously is on the right side of this argument, right wing side of this argument, sent a letter to Governor Bashir uh, and, and it, or did a press release calling on the governor to cut the benefit. 
They said that ending the program will, quote, support Kentucky's economic recovery from the pandemic and help address a serious workforce shortage faced by employers across the state as Kentucky looks to reopen to 100% capacity in the coming weeks, unquote. You know, they they did kind of hedge a little bit. They acknowledged the need for more access to child care, more access to job training and vaccinations. Um, But ultimately, they said we need to end this benefit so that people go back to work. Meanwhile, several unions across the state are pushing the governor to keep the unemployment benefit in place. So the AFL-CIO, JCTA, uh, the United Mine Workers, and the Stagehands Union, as well as Kentucky Policy, uh, Kentucky Center for Economic Policy, um, have all pushed the governor to keep the benefit. So Jason Bailey, who's the executive director at Kentucky Policy, told WFBL, quote, Now's not the time to take away a benefit that circulates through the whole economy and is helping spur that recovery. It will just make the recovery slower, longer, and more painful, and it will hurt families that are still struggling, unquote. It is the truth, Jasmine, that Kentucky's unemployment rate is dropping. It's now at 4.7%, which is much better than the national rate of 6.1%, but it's worth saying it's still significantly higher than it was before the pandemic started. We don't have good data yet by state, but uh, wages are shooting up nationally quite a bit. Uh, and, and that could really be good news for Kentucky. I took a look at the you know corporate profit levels uh, that are released by you know in, in the economic data um, by the Department of Labor. I think might be some other organization. It's a federal government. Uh, in the last part of 2020, which was in the midst of the pandemic, saw corporations having some of the largest profits in history. Uh, and you know I don't think it's uh, an argument to say we are living in one of the most economically divided times in our country's history. Giving workers more money in order to push companies to increase wages, in my opinion, is one of the best ways to deal with the issue, and the results of a more generous unemployment package is already being seen with the increase in wages. Uh, And we're starting to also see a slight dip in corporate profits in the first half of 2021. I'm not necessarily somebody that thinks that, you know, a reduction in corporate profits is always a good thing. um, But if it also is accompanied with an increase in wages and those are substitutions for each other, I think that's a good thing. So, Jasmine, what do you think about uh, the $300 in unemployment per week and uh, whether or not Governor Bashir should cut this benefit? I don't think he should cut it yet. I think, like you said, there are a lot of people who have had like barriers to getting the vaccine, who were still trying to vaccinate, were trying to provide more like mobile sites and, and ways to get the vaccine. And I, I also don't think that when someone's returning to the workforce, they should have to like settle for the lowest of low wage of jobs while they're looking. So. I think that we need to keep providing the $300 at least through when it's going to expire, like from the federal government. But that's what I think. And I think that if some of these employers want to hire people now, then maybe they do need to increase their wages. Yeah, totally. Uh, it, Ryan, Cor- okay, so Ryan Corals, I think, is really pushing this. Ryan Corals is the agriculture commissioner who is um, almost certainly going to run for governor next time around. And mm-hmm. um, I think a journalist asked Andy Bashir what why he wasn't cutting these benefits, and at some point, Andy Bashir said it was goofy 
to remove that money from people's pocketbooks. Um, and Ryan Corals took issue with that today on Twitter, um, saying, you know, it's not goofy that these uh, business le- businesses are re- really struggling to hire people. But Jasmine, what do you think? Do you think it's goofy uh, to want for uh, to try to talk about removing an extra benefit from uh, Kentuckians uh, who would be getting basically three hundred dollars in unemployment from the federal government? I know that employers and businesses are hurting. There's also a lot of people in this state that live in poverty all the time that no one is trying to help. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, and I think Jason Bailey's point is a bigger one, too. I mean, he's not necessarily talking about like, you know, oh, gosh, we shouldn't give money to people to lay around and do nothing. And people have to have business or have uh, workers, et cetera, et cetera. He's saying, you know, putting money in people's pockets in Kentucky from the federal government helps money circulate in Kentucky, increases the rate of commerce. And that's good for the economy. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is another one of those things. I think Jason Bailey is talking about it from an economic point of view. And I get really frustrated sometimes when people say, uh, you know, the study of economics is uh, the same as being pro-business. Sometimes, you know, having businesses have to pay higher wages uh, and, and giving people money to actually spend in the economy is better for the overall economy, even if it's not necessarily the most pro-business stance. So uh, hopefully people wake up to that realization and, and see what's going on there. Right. Uh, and I think there was just data that came out today about the stimulus checks and how beneficial they were for people. And I mean, the, the, this extra unemployment benefit, the same logic applies. Yeah, I have not seen what you're talking about. But it doesn't shock me to know that uh, putting money in people's pockets and having them spend that money was good for the economy. So Jasmine, uh, that is the big unemployment story that's kind of been rolling around recently. But there's a couple of other unemployment news items I thought we should talk about since unemployment has been a really major topic uh, for more than a year on this show. Uh, and we did a big, we just did that big segment on that, but we have some other issues that we should probably also talk about. So while Kentucky is going to keep the $300 weekly payments, uh, getting unemployment did get a little bit more difficult recently because Kentuckians now have to prove that they have been searching for work. Um, that was removed as a prerequisite to get the benefits during the pandemic. But, you know, with the uh, incidence rate going down so much, you now have to start looking for a job, which has been, you know, part of the unemployment insurance uh, system since it started. Um, so we're a little bit back to normal there. So that's that one. Another one is that 18 states moved to exempt unemployment insurance from income for the purposes of taxation. Uh, but Kentucky is not one of them. Uh, according to WDRB, Kentucky is one of only 11 states that fully taxes unemployment insurance. Changing this rule would have required a bill to be passed by the legislature, but I guess they were busy doing other stuff uh, during this year's legislative <laughs> session than exempting people's unemployment from taxes. Um, I don't know, Jasmine. You know, on one hand, that would have been really good for people to not have to pay those taxes. I think it was maxed out at about $500 that people had to pay. And 500 bucks when you've been on unemployment for most of the year, that's a pretty substantial chunk of change. But at the same time, like also that's revenue taken out of the state system. I'm a little surprised that Republicans didn't want to do it because they love to do anything that reduces our revenue. But I guess if it comes at the expense of taxes for you know people who are on unemployment, maybe they're into that. Uh, anyways, uh, that was something that I think at least should have had a discussion this year during the legislative session. I can kind of see both sides of it, um, but uh, we didn't do that, unlike 18 other states. 
Lastly, Governor Bashir has been shouting from the rooftops that Kentucky needs to overhaul the unemployment system with a lot more money from the legislature. But Speaker David Osborne threw cold water on that idea, even going so far as to tout the, you know, quote unquote, reforms that uh, the legislature made during the Bevan administration, which played a pretty significant part in getting us into this disaster. So this is his quote, Kentucky, quote, Kentucky's efforts were aimed at helping people find un, find employment, not processing claims. His administration, Bashir's administration, failed to take into consideration that you can't shut down an economy and expand, expand eligibility without quickly retooling a system that supports it. Kentuckians are too smart to buy into this false narrative that they know the real fault lies firmly at the governor's feet, unquote. So that one's a little bad. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, Jasmine, I, what, what do you think that Speaker Osborne would have wanted Governor Bashir to do in the midst of the pandemic? Do you think he would want to not shut things down, uh, not expand uh, eligibility, or um, you know, what, what do you think that he would have wanted? I mean, that's kind of been the thing for the last year is that Republicans, especially like certain Republicans like Ryan Quarles and the leadership, like have criticized the governor, but have never offered their own plan. So I don't really know what they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, yeah, He Speaker Osborne is up here criticizing, you know, oh, he didn't realize that if you shut the state down and then expand in eligibility, that's going to cause a problem. I don't think that's true. I think Governor Bashir knew it was going to be a problem, but he saw it as a necessity to get people to be taken care of. Yeah, there have been tons of people that have been treated very poorly by the unemployment system who weren't able to get the benefits that they needed. But there were lots and lots more people who were able to get the benefits that they needed. And if you just try to ignore the problem and let it roll like it had been going, that would have been a disaster. That would have been terrible. You know, think about like all the people who wouldn't have been able to get unemployment or just a meager amount of unemployment. Um, and, and, you know, not even people who are eligible um because they were gig workers or self-employed or whatever, uh, those people would have had nothing to do or we would have had to leave the economy open and people would have gotten sick and died. Like, we had to do these things. It was necessity that we take care of people. Um, and yes, we need more money if we are going to face this challenge again. But unfortunately, it looks like Speaker Osborne is not interested in solving that particular problem. All right, Jasmine, let's move on and talk a little bit about policing protests and a prosecution. Okay, so like all of these stories are all kind of different, but they they fall under that same umbrella. Um, so first today, Mayor Fisher and new LMPD Chief Erica Shields provided an update about the audit results from earlier this year. So just as a reminder, this is the 105 page report that was done by a Chicago firm that called LMPD a department in crisis and recommended a lot of changes. We talked about it. Uh, fairly in-depth on this show. Um, but at the press conference today, they unveiled a public dashboard where they will show progress in implementing recommendations. Shields also talked about building dashboards so that police officers can also see like if they are disproportionately stopping black people or other demographics. Um, I took a look at what the dashboard looks like and... I don't know. Maybe it's going to look different. Maybe this is an early stage, but it's just like this little box on the LMPD website that has different categories and then 
percentage complete or in process of implementing recommendations, but you don't really know. Whenever I heard about this public dashboard, I was like, this sounds awesome. Transparency, accountability. We can see what they're doing. But when you look at this little box on the website, you can see percentages, but you you can't actually see what they're doing. <laughs> like you can see the recommendation, but you don't know how they're fixing it. You don't know what they're recommending. You don't know what changes are made. So I'm hoping it's going to be updated or take some kind of different form. Yeah, Jasmine, I don't really talk about my day job on here much, but it a lot of it involves building dashboards. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and You're like Chandler from Friends. Like, I know you work <laughs> with numbers, but I don't know what you do. Yeah, well, I build a lot of dashboards, and, and one of the things is, like, you know, you can make a dashboard. Anybody can do it. Like, you can do, you know, it doesn't take a lot of skills to actually put one together, but to make one that's successful, um, you have to really build a in about who the audience is going to be and what they're going to use it for. Um, and if you don't have that clear at the start and, and you're not building towards that, it's not going to be a successful dashboard. So, you know, is the purpose of this thing transparency? Is we're going to are we going to use it to like call out the police, um, which I think is probably something would be more along the lines of what you would like to see or, or people who are like more uh, on the criminal defense side and, and maybe more community activists. And I think that's there's a really good reason to do that. Or are we going to use it to improve the process of policing um, a little bit more of an internal tool, which is probably more along the lines of what, you know, reform oriented like police supporters want to do um we need to have this out here so people can see how good a job we're doing like well i thought it was going to be both based on what was said at the press conference like that there was going to be this public one and then we also want officers to see what they're doing and yeah uh, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like there's a clear purpose for it. Uh, and also, when there's not a clear purpose for it, you know, what are we going to use it for? And having a very clear idea about what that is, like who and how we're going to build towards that at the very beginning, you're not going to be very successful. So it sounds to me like uh, they couldn't really decide what they wanted to do. So they released something that exists and maybe or may, may, may or may not be like the most successful thing. So hopefully, you know, there is a little bit of an outcry. At least there's an outcry from Jasmine. Now there's an outcry from me. <laughs> Because I trust Jasmine's uh, opinion on this, and hopefully they come back to it and and change it. And you know, if you need some help, you can give me a call. I'll help you out. So there you go. Who knew Robert builds dashboards? I didn't. Also, in the same press conference, Chief Shields defended the city no longer releasing body cam footage the day after a shooting, saying that it gets in the way of investigations. So, like, I don't know. She talked about the need for transparency and accountability but then also you know said something that's pretty against that <laughs> so. yeah 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 not great not great so there's that um next story last week robert mentioned that there would be no charges filed for officers and national guard members who killed david mcatee the day after the announcement protesters held a march in louisville um, which this week also marks the one-year anniversary of his death and during their march, LMPD arrested David McAtee's brother. Um, so that's kind of crappy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that is really sad. Um, I, you know, and it is it, 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 it's like a year after these types of things it is such a key time because it's either it, it dies or keeps going. And, and I do 
I do think it's good that it, it's going to keep going um, because these issues are not going away, have not gone away over the past year, uh, and we really haven't done nearly enough to fix it. So hopefully uh, people keep marching and, and you know bringing our attention to these these big issues. Yeah, and that's kind of the other thing I wanted to talk about is like the memorials that were held this weekend and then like what it looks like going forward. People marched the day after the announcement last week, but then... They also gathered on June 1st to remember him because that was the one-year anniversary of his death. And this weekend also marked the one year of the Breonna Taylor protests. And there was a gathering at Injustice Square. And, you know, no, though there are no longer like daily protests or, or people occupying that space all the time, organizers have said that a lot of the protesting has shifted to other forms of action, like pushing for policy changes, voicing input on the city's next budget, and educating new activists. I know there's been, um, you know, a push to have more people listening to streamed Metro Council meetings and things like that. Um, so I, I think that the advocacy is still happen- happening and we're um, like commemorating these like anniversaries, but that it's also like shifting to like less visible forms of advocacy. Yeah. You know, daily protests are, are not really sustainable. You know, it, yeah. it, it takes a lot of energy to do that kind of work. And and I am, you know, glad that the organizers are thinking through the best way to keep their people healthy and, and safe. And also just like mentally as well as physically, um, because yeah, this is really tough. And, and then transitioning into something, um, that they can continue to do in the long term is really good to hear about. So, you know, the, the budget is uh, kind of up now. Uh, we'll probably be talking about it soon. And I'm excited to see how um, the folks who are advocating for change are, are going to make their voice heard a- during that step. Yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to note about the protest is it's also been a year since seven people were shot during the first weekend of Breonna Taylor protests. And the Courier Journal and other media outlets have continued to like try reporting on this, um, but they've been denied access to most LMPD records. But because of all the media requests, LMPD did put out a statement um, over the past week that they are attempting to re-interview witnesses involved. So I don't really know like what happened with the initial interviews and, and where those went, because we don't have any of the information. Like there have been no suspects named, no arrests made. And so I just feel like this, like kind of mass shooting has really gotten very little attention, not for lack of trying by the media, um, but just like on LMPD's part, I think that was maybe of all the things that happened, the thing that has gotten the least attention of like the well, you know, it has not gotten nearly enough attention. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, it was like, you know, it was on like, on like the first day of protest. So nobody really knew what was going to happen. Everybody was kind of on edge in the whole city. You know, the, the media was down there covering it. And then all of a sudden six people were shot. Uh, and I think one of the, you know, WFPL reporters like witnessed it happen. Uh, and, 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 you know, it doesn't seem like it was all that connected to everything else that was going on around there, but yeah, we don't know because we haven't seen the investigation at all. So hopefully, you know, with all this attention, we will see something happen, uh, because yeah, there's a mass shooting in our community. And when that happens, you want to, you want it to be resolved. So yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. So 
the last piece of this segment, switching gears quite a bit, um, but still related to policing and prosecution, is M- Matt Bevan's pardons are back in the news because one of the pardoned, Patrick Baker, was indicted for the same murder that he had been previously convicted of and then pardoned from. Um, so something that has been very surprising to me as a lawyer is that you can be prosecuted twice in the state and federal system, and that does not violate double jeopardy. That comes from, you know, a body of Supreme Court case law, and it's crazy to me (laughs) that you can be prosecuted twice for the same thing. Um, And the way this is kind of used in practice is the federal system can be used sometimes to like coerce deals at the state level, like take this or this is going to go federal or, and this is something that I see a lot is it's kind of used as like revenge or like a punitive measure when someone gets maybe an acquittal or a just result in their state court trial. Um, Like if someone gets charged with a murder in the state court and they get convicted of manslaughter or reckless homicide, something that is still a felony conviction, but may involve less prison time, um, then they will get charged with murder in the federal system. And so, you know, it, it kind of is unfair if, you know, a jury of your peers heard your case at trial, did not believe the evidence and you get acquitted or you get convicted of something lesser and then the federal system can just go back and charge you with murder. Um, yeah. And yeah, that, that's really tough. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened here. I think this is um, prosecutors and law enforcement being upset that this guy was pardoned. And um, I mean... <laughs> The Courier Journal article says got away with homicide, and I mean he did serve time in prison. So yeah, uh, it, it's it's whenever we've talked about the pardon issue with Bevan, uh, it is something that we kind of try to treat fairly, or at least like give uh, you know voice to what you're talking about here, because one of the things that I see uh, is that. A lot of times, these very odd situations that are not at all typical of uh, criminal proceedings um, are used as examples as to why the system needs to exist the way that it did. Like, not that many people get pardons from the governor after they've been convicted based on uh, a significant amount of evidence uh, that they committed that crime. You know, that this is incredibly atypical but that is this situation is pointed to as like oh well isn't it good that this person is now facing this federal crime he's not gonna get away with it or or whatever like that's how we're framing this when the most common way that this happens is uh for people who um their public defender or their criminal defense attorney um works really hard gets them uh, a just result or an acquittal 
at trial, and then all of a sudden the prosecutors who are mad uh, seek their revenge in the next system up. Um, so, you know, yes, Patrick Baker has been a huge story over the past couple of years and, and won the Courier-Journal uh, a Pulitzer Prize, but it's worth noticing that his experience is not at all typical of the criminal justice system, and uh, yeah, that that's something you should always remember when thinking about how this actually works. Yeah, and so, you know, in the federal system, he faces the death penalty um, or life in prison. So there are pretty big potential consequences for him. And we, we've we heard about this case, you know, someone getting re-indicted on charges. And then we've heard about one other of the controversial pardons um, that picked up new federal charges that were different from what he was I think he got a commutation, not a pardon, but we, we've heard about like two out of 600 and something pardons, you know? So I think that that's important to remember too, is yeah. <laughs> like how rare situations like this are. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely a very, very, very strange situation. Also, whenever I think about this, I just think about how good it is that Matt Bevan isn't the governor anymore. Uh, because this is just a weird, weird situation that caused a lot of headaches for a lot of people. So that's the update on police and protests. Very quick COVID update. Uh, Hey, things are actually pretty good. Um, So COVID cases have decreased now for the fourth week in a row. Uh, I think that's pretty clearly indicating a decline and and not a plateau, kind of an exit of the plateau. Um, It it looks like last week's case number is probably the lowest since last summer, uh, in, in the initial run-up rise in cases uh, that we saw last summer. Um, looking at the map, there are zero red counties this week, which that's great. Only 16 orange counties. Everybody else is yellow except for 15 that are green. So I probably, if things keep going the way that they are, it won't be long before there's more green counties than orange counties, which would be really, really great. Louisville saw 391 cases last week, which is the lowest, uh, the fewest since early July 2020. Lexington had 142, and that is lower than at least June 2020. That is when the Herald Leader's graph ends. So it's the lowest number on their graph currently. So Lexington's in, in pretty good shape. Kentucky's deaths do remain pretty steady, about an average of eight to eight and a half a day. Um, But as we mentioned, when there was a big run up in cases on the way back down, deaths are a lagging indicator. So as fewer and fewer people get sick with the coronavirus, fewer and fewer people people will die. Um, But because there's a lot of people who got it in the past, it's going to take it a while for that number to decrease. Governor Bashir announced also that uh, 260 additional deaths were uncovered as part of an audit that ended this week. Um, those happened all the way back to March 2020, uh, and and Governor Bashir gave uh, you know a very heartfelt reasoning for this, saying you know he didn't want anybody uh, to to go unnoticed in the situation, and and if uh, this tragedy occurred in you or your family, uh, he wanted to make sure that you were accounted for. Um, you know, this this has been a crazy situation and, you know, I, I this will be memorialized for a long time and making sure that we count everybody uh, that, that died from this, I think, is important going forward. Um, so, you know, getting those people onto the list and make sure that we know all the people that we lost uh, to this terrible disease uh, is something that I think is commendable. 
46% of Kentuckians now have a first shot of the vaccine, which is just slightly below the national average. We are definitely growing a much at a much, much slower rate than we were prior, but we're still growing. We're still going up. More than 2 million Kentuckians are, are vaccinated. Uh, vaccine usage dipped a little bit this week, but it's been pretty stable. We had a you know a, a blip up last week because 12 to 17 year olds um, were eligible for the vaccine, and a lot of them likely got it last week when they first became eligible. But we've kind of settled back down at the rate we've been at for the past month or so. Kentucky is reopening on June 11th. I think that that's pretty much it. We're pretty much just going to open all the way back up. Uh, basically, everything's going to be opened uh, at full capacity, including senior centers. Um, and also, the governor has said that that will be his final COVID update. So, I, you know, I don't think we're at the date where there are zero cases or even zero deaths. Um, and I think the past probably month and a half has kind of shown us that that date probably isn't going to come. Um, we aren't going to be able to get the vaccination rate that is required to get us to the point where everybody is safe. Um, because people just aren't going to do it. Um, but uh, we are at the point where I think we are pretty much done with this. Uh, and as people who are vaccinated, um, you know, we're not going to get it. That is something that, that has been, been seen. I think a couple weeks ago, the governor said that 99% of their cases in the past month, whenever that ended, uh, were people who were unvaccinated. So it is very, very unlikely if you are vaccinated that you are going to catch the, the coronavirus. And the federal guidance has said basically people who are vaccinated don't even need to wear masks indoors. And that's based on evidence that people who are vaccinated are not catching COVID. So for us, for if you're vaccinated, I mean, congratulations. We've hit the end. Life is back to normal. Um, but as it gets back to normal, I would say just try to remember the people that we've lost. And also remember the people who have been changed forever because of the loss of a loved one or an experience with uh, sickness. Maybe, you know, getting close to death, having to be in the hospital for a long period of time. Maybe one of these long COVID situations where they're still mm -hmm. facing it these days. Um, th there's a lot of people who are touched by this disease. Uh, and as we're exiting it, uh, you know, just never forget. Uh, I do think, you know, as the governor said, uh, we we got through it together. Uh, you know, that's something that happened. Um, we're getting to the end or the part where we are basically going to say we're as far as we're going to go. So, you know, if you haven't gotten the shot, get the dang shot. <laughs> it's super easy at this point. Um, and yeah, that that that's probably it. So what do you think, Jasmine? Uh, do you think that this is a good place to, to you know, in the state's intervention in the, the COVID crisis? Or do you think it's premature? I mean, we've kind of been talking about this every week for a while is like that we're getting we're at the point where the people who are going to get vaccinated have gotten vaccinated, except for children. Kids. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I I think that maybe, you know, we could go back to mostly normal with a mask mandate in public until they can approve the vaccine for kids. But I don't know. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I remember you talked to this to, you know, when you had Lamar on two weeks ago, he talked about his kids. Uh, mm -hmm. When I had Emily on last week, she talked about her kids. You know, my child is not even a year old yet. So she she's not she was never uh, required to wear a mask. But both of their children you know have to wear masks uh and, and can't get vaccinated yet and yeah that that's that is definitely the the last piece of this 
Um, the the political reality of Kentucky does say that you know the governor would face pretty significant repercussions if <laughs> it has continued to face significant yeah. repercussions uh, and, and is in a really tough spot uh, with respect to this. Um, you know there are real serious risks about getting it, uh, but they're a lot smaller with kids, which is not to say they're not present. Um, and it is a really tough spot. And I would say you know I'm going to continue to wear my mask. Um, and especially when I'm out in public in places like the grocery store or, you know, what if I'm going to go to like a public place that's indoors, especially definitely want to be wearing a mask. Um, and we talked about different reasons to do that. And I think it's definitely legit to say like, Hey, if kids going to have to wear masks because they, they can't get vaccinated, I'm going to wear one just like in solidarity with them. I know it's not going to do anything for me because I'm vaccinated. And if you are vaccinated, you don't catch it, but you know, it's kind of lonely being a kid already. And if you're the only person in a group wearing a mask, that is not great. Um, so I think that that's a good reason to do it uh, as good as any. Uh, and anybody that wants to wear a mask should feel free to do so and not be uh, harassed by, by anybody for sure. Yeah. So kids. Yeah. It's a weird position to be in when you're vaccinated and you don't, you don't want people at the store to think that you're not vaccinated, but <laughs> What what has your store been like? Know. Yeah, what what is it like there uh, in in Linden, Jasmine? What's the store like? Do most people wear masks or not at this point? What's it like? I actually haven't really been anywhere in my neighborhood like since they changed the rule. Um, but I just got back from Alabama. Oh gosh! And there were no masks anywhere. Wow! Like really at all? And so you know. My husband and I are vaccinated, so we're like, well, we we feel pretty safe, I guess. So, you know, we didn't wear them very often there. But I feel like the last time that I went to, like, my Kroger or anywhere around where I live, most people were still wearing masks. Yeah. Uh, I would say at at the Highlands Kroger, it's been really different the past two weeks. I would say, like, throughout the entire pandemic, the Highlands, obviously, big Bashir country, uh, <laughs> and uh, going to follow the rules about masks yeah. for sure. Um, I would say back to, like, April or May, we were at 100% compliance with masks. I didn't see anybody in the grocery store that wasn't wearing a mask. And since the mask mandate's been lifted, I would say we're back. We're probably at about half, um, 50% of people wearing yeah. masks. Uh, I think it's... I think it's just really changed in the last like week and a half or so. And I haven't been many places in Kentucky since then. But before I would say really good mass compliance um, at all the places that I go to. But I, I think, I think that's changing, you know, with, with like the CDC guidance that like vaccinated people are at such a low risk to get it. 99 point something percent of cases are unvaccinated people. I think p- people are willing to start taking them off. And and I am too in certain settings. Like yeah. I go to a fitness studio that has like a 12 person class cap and we're all vaccinated adults. And mm-hmm. so I feel comfortable going there without a mask now. Yeah, I was at my office for the first time since March 2020 for a work day today. And yeah, I, you know, I didn't wear a mask there cause I work in a small place and I knew that everybody there had been vaccinated. Um, so yeah, I feel pretty safe there. Uh, you know, going out with my family, we're at the zoo. 
I, I wore actually mm-hmm. wore my, my mask at the zoo. So I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, we'll just do it. I'll do it when I feel like it. And uh, yeah. well, <laughs> the zoo is a place with a lot of children. So that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. <sighs> All right, Jasmine. Well, we've reached the end of another episode. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. No guests this week. Um, we'll, we'll be be back to having um, guests pretty pretty soon. Uh, it's Pride Week or Pride Month, so uh, happy Pride to everybody. And uh, we may have some people along those lines soon. Uh, but Jasmine, how people how can people get in touch with us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old KY pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And we have a newsletter that comes out on Friday mornings. You can subscribe to it at forwardky.com slash newsletters. And last but not least, we are part of the Dimcast network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>